His name is victory, and all praise will rise to Christ our King. All praise will go to God. It will go to the throne of Christ in all of eternity. Uh, that is the only thing that's really going to last, is the things that are done for Christ, and the only praise that will last, and that is accepting to the Lord, is the praise that goes to Him, the praise that goes to uh, the one that is the only one that is worthy of praise. He is the only one that is worthy. And that's why Scripture tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I was thinking also um, about another lyric from that song, talking about what God does as He intercepts our life. It, it, there's a lyric that says, um, uh, By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. Because we know that Jesus has brought victory, uh, victory uh, to our eternity. Uh, no longer is, is, is death something that wins over us. But in Christ we can have victory over that. Because Jesus had victory over that. And those that are in Christ um, inherit the goodness of uh, the righteousness and the victory of Christ. But you know it says... It, it, it says by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. And I was thinking about the fact that if, uh, uh, if I had been pulled out of the ashes, that I obviously would be dirty, uh, and so I would look like I was dirty, but I wonder how long it would be until I cleaned myself off and washed off all the dirt and all the gunk, you know, uh, that, that eventually I would want to take a shower and get cleaned up and I was thinking about how ironic it is and how sad it is that so many people who say that they have been cleansed by the blood of Christ still continue to live like they are in the pit of ashes and in the pit of defeat. It doesn't make sense when you say I believe in Jesus but yet your life does not reflect that and, and over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians we see this theme and we see it again and, and this morning as we look at what Paul calls the fruit of light and he calls us to walk in light. He's already called us to walk in love but he also calls us to walk in the light. If you are a person whose life has been affected by the light of Christ then you should walk like a person that is walking with a light, not like a person stumbling around and running into things all the time because they're wandering around in the dark. But what does that look like to walk in the light? Well, Paul gives us uh, an idea. Uh, he gives us a, a, few, uh, a few descriptions of that, um, just a few words. I want to read this here in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, starting verse 8. And we're going to read down to verse 14. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. Paul says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, 
Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Father, we pray that this morning the light of Christ would shine on us. Father, that the, the, the light of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit would illuminate for us what it is that your word has for us to understand here this morning, that we would be children of light, not just that we would be children of light, but Father, that our lives would reflect that which we say is our faith and our belief. And so God, help us to understand more about what that means here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to notice in this passage is I want you to notice the contrast. Now this is not, this is not different. This is the same all throughout uh, the book of Ephesians. There's different contrasts. In fact, throughout the Bible, there's different contrasts. In the, in the New Testament, through the writings of Paul and John and Peter and Jude, we see uh, a, a common, uh, a common a contrast, a, a common theme of of what is light versus what is darkness, the effects of light versus the effects of darkness, the blessings of the light and the dangers of the darkness. And so God, God often uses pictures, especially, especially pictures of things that we see in nature in order to describe for us how he relates to mankind, how God relates to men and women. And so this, uh, this picture that we see that Paul is using is the picture between light and darkness. You know, light is a powerful thing. But you know, darkness is powerful in that it is dangerous. It's dangerous because darkness, in its just truest, most basic definition and form, is the absence of light. Remember when I was in in high school, or actually junior high, I remember a science teacher that would say, there's no such thing as cold, there's, there's heat, and cold is the absence of heat. And he would say, there's no such thing as darkness, but darkness is, is uh, what exists in the absence of light. But light is, is, is really what exists. Light is what changes things. And so uh, light is a powerful thing. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, you know, when Paul is talking to them about not, about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, he's warning them uh, not to marry people that do not have the same faith that they have, but he sort of works in here a rhetorical question that they already know the answer to. It's just to get them to think, to drive home the point. He says, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? He's saying that light and darkness are not made to coexist. It's not made to coexist. There's, there's a war between light and darkness. And, and in Scripture we see that light, that, that, that the light of, of, of Scripture is from God. That He is the source of light. He is light. In fact, uh, we, we, see this, is we, we see this reflected in nature. I mean, when you, when you look up at the heavens and and uh, you look up at the stars in the sky, we're reminded that there is a God that created the heavens and the earth. There is a God that, that, that Scripture says, and I don't know exactly how, how this happened, but somehow Scripture uses the term that He scatters the stars by His hand. What that means is He created 
the stars. And when you look up into a, a, a night sky and you see all those stars, some of them are actual stars and some of them are planets uh, that are reflecting the light of other stars. But we see that, 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 the, that there's a source of light that's being reflected into the darkness. And that, that is reflective to us that, that, that the light of God is reflective into, uh, reflects into the darkness of our world. The stars were designed to produce light in the night sky because God is light. It reminds us that He is light. The very nature of the universe paints for us a picture that the point, uh, that, that point us to God. That's why Jesus said in, in John 8, it says, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. I'm the light of the world and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. Again, here we see the light contrasted with the darkness. In Ephesians 5, Paul is saying, hey, hey you people that say you are Christians. Hey, you folks that say that you are children of Christ, that you are in the family of God, you've been adopted through faith. Hey, I know you say that. But, but listen, if, if that's really true in your life, if God has really saved you, then you should be different. It's a contrast. We've been seeing this all throughout the book of Ephesians. But next, I want you to see the command. So the, the little last part of verse 8, he says, So walk as children of light. The command is to walk or to live like a person that's been changed by the light. We saw this when he said walk in love. We, we see this throughout the book of Ephesians, throughout the New Testament. This is telling us how we should live. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. And it is a characteristic of a person who has genuinely been saved by faith in Christ. Well, so-and-so says they prayed to receive Christ when they were seven. Okay, great. So how do we know if they're saved or not? Well, I mean, no one really knows except for them and God. But one way that we ought to be able to tell is whether or not they love Jesus and whether or not they're walking in the light. It is reflective. It's a characteristic of someone who's been genuinely saved by faith in Jesus. So we, 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 we saw a contrast. We saw a command. But next I want you to see the characteristics. Verse 9, for the fruit of light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, if you know anything about Leah and I, you know that Leah has been uh, teaching school for, I think, 11 years now. Okay, uh, Most of that time she's been teaching, uh, well, she's always been teaching science classes, but a majority of that time she taught biology and she always loved teaching biology because there was always that chapter, that unit that had to do with photosynthesis. And so if you took, if you took, she already knows. I'm not going to do it though. Uh, but no, I don't know. You're right. But if you took uh, biology from Miss Campbell and you got to the unit about photosynthesis, you would learn what she would call the photosynthesis dance. And so she always loved teaching that unit uh, and, and but, but here's the thing now I, I, I'm not gonna do the the dance I don't really know the dance real well anyway uh, but but here's here, here's what I want you to understand there's there's a lesson another lesson to be seen 
in another process of nature which was created by God. Here's another way in which nature reflects the truth of God's word. When you, when, when you understand photosynthesis, just to break it down, let me give you a basic definition. It's a process that happens in plants where light energy is converted into chemical energy inside of a plant. That's basically the energy that the plant needs to survive. And so if a plant is going to grow and mature, it needs light. It needs light. No light, no maturity, no growth. And eventually, uh, the plant kind of chokes out without life, doesn't it? Paul says that the light of Christ at work in your life is something that produces fruit. Is that when, when, when God is work, at work on the inside, that there are visible signs of that on the outside. There's visible signs of growth taking place on the outside that people can see as a result of genuine things that are happening on the inside because of what the light of Christ is doing. He says that the fruit of light, number one, is goodness. The fruit of light is goodness. Now as you look at, you look at these three things, you see that they are kind of reflective. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. You'll see they're reflective of, of some other things as well. Goodness, for example, is reflective of what we do. What we do. Now, understand that when he says goodness, he's talking about goodness as defined in God's word. Okay? He, he's talking about a, a goodness that is goodness that, that God characterizes. Okay? We also have to understand that, that really, true, truly, in and of ourselves, none of us are good on our own. In fact, none of us could ever be saved by goodness. There are some people that you will talk about, they'll say, uh, that you talk to, they'll say, well, if you believe in God and then you do everything He says to do all the time, then you'll be saved. But that's kind of disheartening because we all struggle with sin. And, 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 and so if that's the case, then man, like we're unsaved a lot, okay? And we're having to be resaved over and over and over again. But Hebrews says that Jesus died once for all. That when he died on the cross, that, that paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. So you only have to really be saved. You only have to come to Christ one time if you truly repent, if you truly trust in Him. That doesn't mean you're never going to struggle with anything, but it means it's paid for. Why? Because your salvation does not have anything to do with any kind of goodness that you could produce. It doesn't have anything to do, your salvation doesn't have anything to do with your behavior because left to our own devices and left to our own morality and left to our own standards, you and I, we're just not good enough. None of us, none of us would be able to cut it when it, it's, time to, it's time to face judgment and to measure up. None of us would make it on our own, on our own efforts, by ourselves, what I say in default mode, which is apart from Christ, even the best of us, apart from Christ, Scripture says we're darkness. Not just that we are in darkness, but we are darkness. It tells us that the heart of man is wicked. Who could understand it? It's not until the darkness of our heart is pierced with the light of Christ that we can be saved through faith alone in Christ alone. That, 
but that also does not mean, even though you can't be saved by goodness, that does not mean that we should ignore the fact that we are called to do good things, okay? We are called to do those good things. In Ephesians 2, when Paul says, For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's saying, you can't be good enough. None of you will ever be in heaven saying, hey, I deserved it. I got what I deserved. Because you can only be saved by the grace of God. But then it goes on to say, uh, on over into verse 10, it says, For we are God's creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And part of that is to walk in the light. And if you are walking in the light, it's going to be reflected in the things that you do. Do the actions of your life echo the goodness of God? Do the, do the actions of your life echo the goodness of God? Listen, I'm not asking you if you're perfect. None of us are perfect. I'm asking you, do you try to do the things that God has commanded to do, you to do? Do you flee from the things that God has told you not to do? And when you do mess up, do you repent and do you seek to recalibrate your actions and your life in order to be in sync with the heart of God? Do the actions of your life echo the goodness of God? Because the fruit of life of light is goodness what you do. What you do is often defined by who you are. Okay? So that brings us to the next thing. The fruit of light is righteousness. Fruit of light is righteousness. That has to do with who we are. Well, where does righteousness come from? You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you just said that none of us are good. We're not. Myself included. Apart from God, we're not. Well, where does real righteousness and true righteousness come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. Remember, on our own, we're darkness. But when we encounter Christ, we're in the light. And the light of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, comes to live inside of us. And we become light. Darkness is the absence of light, but God is light. And apart from God, there is no righteousness. The best things that we could do... It doesn't matter how good you are, the best, the, the best of the best that we can do, it does not measure up in God's economy. The, the book of Isaiah 64 says that, uh, that, that all of our righteousness, all of our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. King James says, filthy rags. You know what that's saying? That's saying anything that you think that you have done, Anything that, that, that you think was good and righteous, you just take all of those things and you stack it up. And when you stack it up next to the righteousness of God and the, the, the type of righteousness that is needed to, to step into an eternity of heaven and not an eternity of, of torment, you, you take it and you stack it up compared to that God's righteousness, it, it's, it, it's, like a, it, it's like a dirty piece of toilet paper. That's what he's saying. That's kind of gross, isn't it? Some of y'all are like, uh, well, thank you for that. I'm about to go get lunch. Um, okay? That's, uh, but that's what he's saying. Okay? But praise God, he sent the light of Christ into this world to bring us into righteousness. 1 Peter 3 says that 
uh, that Christ suffered once for all. Remember, he suffered once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might what? He might bring you to God. Philippians 3, Paul, who also is the author of Ephesians that we're looking at, Paul's sharing some of his testimony with others and he's talking about himself and he says, and, and be found in him not having righteousness of my own from the law. He's saying, I, I, it's just not from me, but, but one, a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. You know what that means? It means that those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ are defined by the victory of Jesus and not by the failures of people. You are defined by the victory of Jesus. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are defined by His victory, not by your failures. Not by the failure of someone else that has inflicted pain or has somehow wounded you. Those who are in Christ are defined by the victory of Jesus, not by the failures of people. You see, a lot of people get caught up in the failures of the past instead of soaking in and really, um, uh, really uh, taking in the forgiveness of Christ. A lot of people define themselves based on what they think other people think of them. So it's what, what I think, you think of me, may define me if I define my life that way. And that's a dangerous thing to do because we live in a world that is saturated with social media, especially for younger people, young adults and teens. And in this world saturated with social media and constant connection and keyboard warriors, people that will sit behind a, a computer screen and they'll say something real ugly and mean and hateful, something they would never say face to face, but for some reason they feel like they have a little bit of uh, maybe protection or separation and they'll say those things about someone and guess what? We live in a world that's connected. Just because they're blocked on Twitter or Facebook doesn't mean that they're not going to see it. We live in a world where we're so constantly connected. And because of that, teens and young adults, many of them define who they are by what the world says about them or how they perceive the world to see them. And so when, when there's all these, all these things coming at them saying you should look like this or be like that or you should, you know, whatever here and whatever there or you know you got people that get mad at you and then they're you know they're spreading rumors about you or they're saying this or that and now you're worried that everybody who saw that you know is going to think this about you or that and you're so caught up in in what people think and we're not really caring as much the, the way that we should about what God thinks and about who we are in Christ because God sees you uh, through, the, through the lens of victory that is in Jesus See, your relationship with Christ should be the most defining relationship in your life. So is it? Is your relationship with Jesus the most defining thing about you? Because if it's not, it's going to be hard to walk in the light. Fruit of light is goodness, is what we do, but it should be our righteousness which comes only from God. It's how we see ourselves. That's why the, the, the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned one another to 
his own way and the Lord hath laid upon himself the iniquity of us all because when God looks down from heaven he sees Jesus in the heart of a person that has been redeemed. And you need to understand that. Or it's going to be hard for you to walk in light. The fruit of light is righteousness, which is influenced by who we are, but who we are is also influenced by what we believe. See, the fruit of light is truth. The fruit of light is truth. That makes sense because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, talking about himself. And Jesus also told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus has called himself the light of the world in one passage. In another passage, he has called himself the truth. Jesus is the living word of God. He is the truth. He is the very definition of truth. Just as, just as we see that God is the very definition of love, what that means is whatever love is, it is God. And so the more I understand about God and, and read about God in Scripture, and the more that is defined and fleshed out, the more I understand what love is supposed to be. It's the same thing with truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the living Word of God. And, and not only is Jesus the living word of God, but he has left us a record of what the truth is through what we call the written word of God, the Holy Bible. You know what that means? That means that whatever truth is, it is defined by Scripture. It's defined by Scripture. It's defined in the Bible. And so, so we, understand, we need to understand that because... Because we live, again, in a world where, where we're so connected and all these things are going on. And so many people are trying to define themselves by what the world, by what the world says. But they're also trying to define their truth. We see this. People saying, well, that's your truth, but not my truth. And that's her truth and not his truth. And our truth and their truth. There is the truth. There is no other truth. It is Jesus. And it is revealed in the Word of God. You know what that means? That means that God created the world. Say, so how do you know? Well, that's what this Bible says. And this is the written Word. This is the truth of God written unto us. So God, God created the world. He created man. He created you. And He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. He sent, he sent Jesus to, to, uh, to, to, to be a sacrifice for your sins so that if you would come to God through faith in Christ, you could receive the righteousness of God. You could be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You could be saved not by works but for works. You're not saved by goodness. You are saved for goodness by the grace and blood of Jesus. So how do you know that? That's what the Bible says. And not only that, but that also means that there is no other way unto salvation. There's no other way into God. There is no way to heaven apart from faith in Christ. You say, how do you know that? It's in the Word of God, which is our record of truth. The Holy Bible is the standard of truth that defines, and it should define, how a believer sees everything in his life or her life. Everything on this earth and everything in the universe. If God's word says it, then it is so. If God's word says that something is sin, then it's sin. 
If God says that something is pleasing unto the Lord, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if it's uncomfortable sometimes for us, then it's pleasing to God. If God's word cautions us against something, then, uh, then, then we should avoid it. If God's word commands us to confront something, then we should confront it. If God's word gives us confidence in something, then we should trust it. Which God's word gives us complete confidence in the plan of God, which we should trust. The question really is, what do you believe? Theologian A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I think I know what he means when he says this. If I were going to say this, I might change the word important and I might use the word defining. But the truth is that what you believe about God will define everything else in your life. It will define everything else in your life. If you believe God's word is true, if you believe God's word is authoritative and you care about doing the right thing, guess what? You're going to be in the Word. You're going to be studying the Word. And you're going to care when, when God says, hey, don't do this, or this is something that I don't like, or this is something that is deplorable, uh, this is a sin, then you, there, you, you may think, well, um, you know, I don't really see what the harm is in that. I don't really see what the big deal is. I don't know why we can't, you know, treat it this way or that way. Uh, then you're going to say, well, um, you know, I, of course I'm going to react in love as much as I can. Uh, but, you know, when you ask me, the Bible says this is sin, so it's sin. Don't talk to me, talk to God. He's the one that said it. Okay? So what you believe about God is going to define everything about you. It's going to define uh, how, you, how you pursue the rest of your life. It's going to, uh, it's going to determine uh, how, uh, really how, uh, how much authority and how much influence the Word of God has on your life. It's going to determine what, uh, you know, how impactful your, fa you know, your faith walk will be on your life. You know, a lot of us, not, well, I say a lot of us, but a lot of people, you know, they see well, their life is, well, I go to church, and so I, have, so I have my church sort of ways and my church talk and my church routine, but then I do work or I do sports or I do school or I do whatever else, and I'm a completely different person. You know, that, that is, uh, that's reflective of somebody that does not understand that Jesus and the things of God are supposed to be at the very center of everything in our lives. God did not create your life like a chest of drawers where you open this drawer when you're ready for this and you open that drawer when you're ready for that. God's created our, our lives as a, as a circle where he is in the epicenter. He is in the very center of everything and everything revolves around him. His plan, what he thinks, how he is leading, as he is moving, everything revolves around him. Now, does that mean that you're perfect? No, you're going to struggle, you're going to fall, you're going to mess up. But when you realize that, you're going to get up and you'll say, hey, somewhere I got off center, I need to be sure that Jesus is back. I need to recalibrate and be sure that Jesus is back in the center of my life here so I can go about my life and be who God has called me to be. Friends, listen, we are living in a dark world. And what you believe about God will define everything else in your life. So we see these, these characteristics. The last thing I want you to see is a call. Verse 14, Paul quotes, he's not quoting Old Testament scripture uh, necessarily directly. 
Uh, most scholars believe he is quoting a hymn that they would have sang. This also could also be um, a uh, sort of an overall principle that they would have understood, whether it be from Old Testament scripture or, or a worship song that they sang. But he says this, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. I love the way King James says it instead of saying get up. He says awake, awake, awake. We are living in a dark world, a world where churches that maintain biblical principles and biblical moralities are being persecuted and are being shamed. We live in a world where college students and sometimes high school students will be taken into a corner by someone who, who does not love the Lord and, and, uh, and they'll be sat down and they'll say, why do you believe all that stuff? Why are you so stupid? How could you believe that? It's just a bunch of fairy tales and you know how silly that is. And those young adults and those high school students are made to feel less than in order to draw them away from the love of God in order to draw them away and influence them away from being a person that is walking in the light and living according to the word of God. There's a battle raging for the hearts and minds of people, of our children, of our teens. And it's not, in that battle, the enemy is not charging after them with a literal sword or some flag with a pentagram on it where it is obvious where this is the devil okay but he is attacking them through their media he is attacking them through culture he's attacking them through Hollywood he's attacking them sometimes through friends and 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 at times it could even be through teachers and professors who do not love the Lord the enemy is attacking every day in more ways than you could imagine we need to wake up, turn the light on, use the light that God has put inside of us to walk in light. Now, I've shared with you before that I've spent a lot of time in caves. And if you've ever been into a cave, whether it's on a tour or you were spelunking and crawling through the mud and dirt through, through, through a cave, uh, you'll know that if you've ever been in a cave and you turn the light off, you, and everybody's lights are off, there is a darkness that you cannot even fathom. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. And you understand that the cave and being in a cave in the dark is a very dangerous place to be. Many people for centuries who've crawled into a cave and lost their source of light and maybe it extinguished or whatever, especially in the days where they used torches or they got back into a cave and the batteries on their light went out. Many people have died in those places because they were without the light. Listen, a cave in the dark is a dangerous place to be, but, but you know what's more dangerous than, than a cave without light? It's a home without light. A home without the light of Christ. A marriage without the light of Christ heart without the light of Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never come to God through faith in Christ, you can give your heart to Christ this morning. Because righteousness, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Christ. And I'd love to talk to you about that.
But if you're here this morning, you're a believer in Christ, and for whatever reason, you have been asleep at the will of your faith journey, then I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you this morning to wake up and start walking in the light. Let's pray.